Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 6. And the last time we looked at ministry gained and ministry lost, played out in two unlikely characters, Naaman the Syrian and Gehazi the servant of Elisha. I love this about God is, you know, in society we can get so ingrained in what we think is right or who should be on top and who should be on the bottom. And when you go through God's Word, you see that what we think we know about people, we don't. You know, you have this despised Syrian Gentile who gains this great ministry and somebody who should have known better being discipled under the great prophet Elisha ends up losing it and that's you can get that for free off the uh, off the podcast but today we're going to look at the sermon that's titled the highs and lows of ministry and really in life and I just wanted to kind of put this out to you you know what are you going through this week what are you dealing with this month sometimes we can read the scripture and dissociate what's going on and real people who lived and trusted God and had their failures and our own lives as if they are better than us, as if we, you know, messed up royally, as if God can't bless us the way they blessed, he blessed them. And that's absolutely not true. So if you've come in here with a burden, I think you're going to be blessed by this. So jumping in, reading verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let, us, let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he said, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master! For it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. So this is the miracle of the floating axe head. Again, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that chapter delineations came later for convenience, actually centuries later. Um, and they're not necessarily inspired, but they don't hurt the Scripture either. They just kind of divide it up so we're not reading one long 65-chapter book and, and not really know where to stop. So it, it is interesting. Um, this chapter really could be put with the miracles that Elisha does in chapters 4 and 5. And I am going to separate this miracle from what happens afterwards. Uh, we're going to change subjects in the middle of this and go to Syria's war plans and the attack. And, you know, we'll just kind of take it in two different pieces but here we see really a well-rounded picture of ministry and I'm going to just come up with five points here Israel is spiritually decadent however God is blessing these small pockets of ministry now the sons of the prophets were you could say ministers today and everybody's got titles you know this one's a pastor this one's a bishop this one's a priest this one's a rabbi the bottom line is if you were in ministry you were in ministry uh, if you wanted to serve the Lord. And it doesn't really matter about titles. 
but the sons of the prophets were a bunch of young guys or guys that got together and really wanted to try to turn things around in Israel. It was just horrible, you know, the decadence that was taking place. And, you know, sometimes I think about our own country when I read through these stories because there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world and there's things going on in this country. And ministry's becoming more challenging. When I get together with other pastors, you know, we talk about the challenges in ministry in 2017. Um, and some just, they don't want, a lot of people don't want to be a part of it. A hundred years ago, if you asked a, a room full of men who would want to be in ministry, you'd probably have more of a percentage that would step up than today because of the challenges, because of the pressures. But it's really good to see those, even in a small percentage, step up to the plate. You saw that here. Second out of five is with growth comes responsibility. Now, the ministers are multiplying, the ministry is growing, and the facility is getting too small. And a decision has to be made to enlarge the facility. And somebody's got to do it, you know. Sometimes modern church, you know, people come in and it's like, like they're going to buy something. They want, uh, you know, something. They want to get something out of it. But not a lot of people come in saying, well, how can I be a part of this? And here, they could have all said, well, the place is getting too small and nobody does anything. But a bunch of these people rose up and they said, hey, you know, we got to do something. We got to expand this place. You know, let's all get to work. Put the books down. <laughs> start picking up, you know, pieces of wood and whatever they used and axe heads and let's get going. Three, a minister's job isn't just to get comfortable teaching. Now, there's a lot of trends in Christianity and modern Christianity every five, ten years there's another cool, relevant trend that's coming out in ministry. And a lot just go and they follow after it. Oh, that looks really... It's like, can we pray about some stuff, you know, to see if it's... But today you see a lot of these titles change in some churches. And I don't criticize it, but, you know, the person will say, I'm the teaching pastor. That's great. But sometimes the teaching pastor needs to pick up a sponge or a piece of garbage. And, you know, it's not just about teaching. You know, in ministry, we can't get caught and stuck in our ivory towers and be dissociated from the people. That's the word of the, the night, by the way. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We've got to be a part of it. You know, we've got to be just like, and again, it's a two-way street. Some come into the church. How can I be a part of this church? Where do I fit in? Same thing with the leadership. How can I be among the people instead of being in my ivory tower? So you see it works both ways, and it's really neat. These men wanted the prophet, Elisha, to be with them. Hey, can you help us out, Elisha? You know, stuff needs to get done. We really want your company. Talk to us while we're working. And you know what? He obliged them. You know, they wanted that camaraderie. God made us social creatures. And it's good for us to be around other people with, you know, like-minded ideas. Um, and, and, you know, we, bore, we, bear, we make bonds and we have friendships. And that's what it's really all about. But it was very important that Elisha wasn't just, hey, I'm the prophet. I'm not going to pick up a piece of wood. I might get my hands dirty and I can't turn the pages. He got, he got in there with them. Yeah, sure, I'll help you guys. Let's do it. And you see this multifarious formula in ministry, you know, this multi-sided, uh, complex. It's not just one thing, you know. Um, you know, pastors and elders fail if they don't know a little something about their building, if they don't know a little bit about the finances, if they don't know a little bit about everything, right? How to, how to deal with people. In their, it's, not just, it's not just teaching. There's a lot more to it. So I just love the examples that are timeless here. Four out of five. We also find that just because somebody's doing the Lord's will doesn't mean that it's without problems. So for those of you that serve, 
you know what I mean. <laughs> you step into ministry, you step up to the plate. Well, I thought everything was going to be perfect. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Let me just let you know ahead of time that if that's what you're praying about, that's great, but your problems just aren't going to melt away. So what happens? They're, they're cutting the trees, and, you know, there's just like... And I, I do this. I chop wood. And I, I love my wood-burning stove, so I love to find wood on the side of the road that people are throwing out and put it in my pickup and drive home and cut it up with the chainsaw and split it. It's good exercise, uh, but it also is free wood and it's free heat, and that makes me feel good, like something for free. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if it's for free, it's for me. You know what I'm saying? But I've had this situation. You've got a wooden handle and an iron axe head, and over time, you know, you're supposed to wedge them so the pressure holds it on to the... To the I don't know, the nomenclature. And over time, just hitting and you know, all the jarring, what happens is the, the axe head starts, I've seen this, it gets loose. I, like, I got a few more chops, I go to swing and it goes, Phew. there it goes. <laughs> but unlike them, I could go to J- the Jamesburg hardware store, like there's three of them right on the corner a mile down the road, and go, 10 bucks, I get myself another axe head if I can't find it. Well, it didn't happen that way here. And I love to bring you back into the culture because... What's he so upset about? Because maybe one out of 50 people actually had an axe head. Um, and he was, he was upset. He borrowed it. He, you know, it was his friend. So he gets panics a little bit here. Uh, and he ends up in the water. <laughs> and five. Well, El- Elisha to the rescue. Um, he finds it, you know, and he gets it. He does a miracle, and the thing floats to the top, which is, of course, not possible unless it's a miracle. But five is that God wants to have faith. You know, he wants to have faith, right? He also wants us to, to ask him for little things as well as big things. I've got to be honest with you, I lose stuff. I don't know if it's because I'm going to be 50 this year, but <laughs> so I can't, I can't. We actually, my wife and I, when you walk in the house, there's these little, it's a little metal thing with cats and their little tails, and that's what we put our keys on which is great because you can't lose the keys that way. But if we're in a hurry, we're, where's my keys? Did you, did you touch my keys? Where are my keys? You know? Or the same thing, you know, I got to go out to the store. Like, where's my wallet? I and my wallet's black. It could disappear anywhere. And, and I find myself getting mad at myself for my own stupidity. And then I'll stop and go, Lord, 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 I'm getting upset. Please help me to find my wallet. And you know what? He's always helped me to find my wallet. You know, I don't take a statue and bury it upside down and do like rote ritual stuff. I actually go to the boss. I, I circumvent all the weird stuff. You know, I go right to the, the source and say, Lord, you know where my wallet is. Believe it or not, today I lost my Bible. How do you, this thing's huge. And I'm like, Lord, and, and I'm not upset with him. I'm upset with me. Where could I have put my Bible, Lord? And I pray, Lord, I've got to teach tonight. I've got to find it. So it was in a white plastic bag, and there's a long story, but I found it, obviously. And my keys and my wallet. I made it here. Amen? <laughs> but, I, you know, I like to tell people that. You know, we can pray for big things. And some people are get, get lost in praying for big things. But you know what? Sometimes, I know with me, I just, before it gets out of control, take a deep breath. Lord, please, I really need to find this. And he's faithful. He's fa- Have I lost things in the past? Yeah, but very few. <laughs> Verse 8, <laughs> we continue. So we're going to change subjects. Again, probably this first seven verses 
could have been with chapter 5. We continue, verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he took counsel with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, so we went from Syria, now we're in Israel. The man of God, or Elisha, sends to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria, now we're back in Syria, was greatly troubled. Remember, God sees everything at the same time. You know, for us, it's like, oh, geography, here, here, we're over here. God's like, he sees everything in an instant. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the traitor? How does the king of Israel know that when we talk in secret, we, <laughs> we, he keeps thwarting our plans? Verse 12, and one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Huh. You know, some people don't learn. I learned as a young person in my 20s when I was coming to the Lord, I just started to understand the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God. All these big words with omni at the beginning. Basically, all this, all knowing, all seeing, all everything. And you know what? I, I just said to myself, why do I want to be on the opposite side of him? <laughs> you know, I want to be on his side. And, and God stirred my heart over the years and I came to Christ. But, uh, but some continue to resist the Lord's call. And wherever you are in life, if the Lord is calling you for your own good, I'm not war warning you, who am I? I'm just saying that you know, you're either in the Lord's camp or you're not. So Syria is going to make war on God's people. Now, you might say to me, well, Pastor Joe, remember Naaman the Syrian, that great general? What happened? Well, you know, there's gaps. God's Word tells us what we need to know. We could be reading something in year one, and then the next chapter, we're in year 12. Okay, so what happens is kings change. They come and go. They leave the throne. They pass away. They get killed, whatever the case may be, and somebody else takes the throne. Same thing with the generals. They're here one day. They're out the next day. So what you have is... Now there's, a, there's enmity between Syria and Israel again. And what happens is, and we see this in the world, don't we? When another a young leader takes, takes the throne to some country, especially a dictatorship, they flex their muscles. And one of the ways they do it, sadly, is to muster up the troops and say, watch this. You know, I'm going to go over there to that country and I'm going to pick a fight with them. And, and this is what happened back then, and you still see it today. But you also see that if you know your geography, that Syria borders Israel along a very vast route, and it still does today. The borders are very similar. Um, and you have two different countries, different ethnicities, different religions, different in a lot of ways, and, and, and humans are weird. We see someone who's different from us, and we feel threatened by it. Uh, in the flesh, of course, not in the spirit. Um, I, I remember, as I'm doing this, I remember the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, in, the, in the 1980s, eight years, you know, one was Sunni and secular, the other one was Shia, right a, a, across the border, east and west, there were these constant skirmishes, so many people got killed over the years, um, you know, it's sad, but, th so this is what's going on, it's those border tensions, 
And the Syrians decide to set up an ambush. Elisha, of course, God tells Elisha, the prophet, Syria is setting up an ambush, and these are the details. So Elisha goes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel didn't really deserve it. He was a wishy-washy guy, not as bad as some of the more wicked kings, but why would God do this? Well, I believe to show God's people I'm still here. There's still a king. There's still the God in Israel. Uh, maybe to prevent the great slaughter. Maybe that God in his infinite wisdom decided that it just was better that he prevented this because a worse thing could have happened. And I have to ask ourselves, are we an Elisha in our own communities? Now, I look at Elisha, he has a lot of good qualities. One of them is he prevents disaster. And he really tries. And, you know, we can be an Elisha in our family. You know, we might be that one person that is trying to prevent everybody else from warring with each other, you know. Some of you have families that there's a lot of drama in it. Um, and I've had that in situations. And, you know, you try to keep the peace. Uh, we also could think about this in our jobs, our places of employment. Are we in Elisha in our place of employment? Are we the only Bible that somebody might read? And I, even as the pastor, I, I'll often say this, if you know me well and you've served with me for many years, if there's two parties that are at odds with each other, I'll, I'll take them aside and I'll say, listen, let me be the peacemaker here. It's not what you think. And what I try to do is I try to get them to see the other person's side and, you know, what I try to do is prevent disaster. And that's part of what you do as a pastor. Uh, but, you know, it's, you kind of take on those qualities. You know, Jesus spoke about blessed are the peacemakers. Hopefully that's a facet of the character of our lives. But continuing on, and by the way, um, not only was Elisha protecting the Israelites, he was also protecting the Syrians because God was probably going to give the victory into the hands of Israel, not Syria, if this happened. They didn't even realize that God was protecting them by doing this. So the Syrian king thinks he has a traitor. He gets his, his counselors together, and he basically says, there's a traitor. There's leaks, right? You see this and <laughs> try to bring it to the United States, that the leaks, every presidential administration has a leaker somewhere. So he's like, where's the leaker? And I love this in verse 12. One of the servants, and you know what's funny? And you see this a lot in the Scripture. How many times, how many chapters have been, we been reading where the hero is not the king. The hero is not the, the noble. The hero is always the servant, the smart servant, the smart, humble, godly servant who says, well, let me tell you what the truth is, king, before you start killing people in your own uh, chambers. He says, Elisha can repeat the words that you say in your bedroom. Now, this is fascinating because whether it's that back then or today, we understand bedroom conversation as one of the most sacrosanct things that, that we have, the most um, uh, sacred, the most private. God knows everything. He hears. We, there's no chamber. You know, I remember watching, uh, <laughs> this is an old show. It dates me. Remember Maxwell Smart, the comical spy? And they had the cone of silence that would come down, and it was supposed to prevent anybody from hearing outside of that cone. Well, God could hear the It never worked very well, by the way. But God can hear things even in the cone of silence. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's our God. And, and I'm good. I'm comfortable with that. But the king, he, he's not convinced. So he decides, instead of repenting, which would be the smart thing to do, he's going to kill the, sir, he's gonna kill the prophet. I'm going to go, I'm just going to kill this guy. This is the foolishness of the, of the carnal man. Because let's say he did kill him. Well, God could raise somebody else and tell him those secrets. 
you know, you can't, you can't fight against God. It just doesn't work. But it's amazing that even the Syrian servants knew about the great God of Israel and that there were men and women in Israel that actually wanted to serve God. And again, oh, that we would be the Elisha in our culture because certainly in America in 2017, we need some Elishas and Elishats. <laughs> so verse 13 continues. So he said, the king, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, uh, for one person, by the way. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Could you imagine that? <laughs> Could you imagine the servant saying, I didn't sign up for this. this is, things were great when Elisha was doing miracles. He's, I get up, I wake up in the morning, and I, I go outside, and, and there's all these horses. And, and to that, back then, it was like having tanks surrounding your house. Probably this little hut and all these soldiers and all these horses. Archers, the whole deal. And his servant said to him, so the servant says to Elisha, probably goes back in the house and says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha answers, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Could you picture the servant going, on the roof? Where are they? I don't see them. You know, uh, what are you talking about? And you know, when you really are secure in your relationship with God and you try to convey that to other people, they don't always get it. Now, the servant was probably a great guy. Probably was a young guy helping out the, the, the aging uh, prophet. But there were things that he hadn't learned yet. He hadn't learned that absolute faith and trust in God to put your life in his hands. And even sometimes as Christians, we don't get it until we have a near-death experience. And then the, you know, the sweat and the adrenaline. And we're like, wow, that was a close one. You know what? The Lord had my back. So this is great. We'll continue. So, <laughs> so the, the servant is saying, what are we going to do? And Elisha's like, listen, we got a whole bunch of more than they do, and, and the servant's not getting what he means. In verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I can picture, you know, when you were in war back then, you would always try to find the high ground. And even today, you know, now, now there's, there's airplanes and jets and it doesn't really matter. But back then, if you had the elevation advantage, you were going to win, okay? And you probably had this small hut or this little makeshift home that Elisha had. He's with his servant and you have the Syrians just encamped all around. Could be a thousand of them, who knows, horses, the whole deal. And, you know... Elisha didn't say, open my eyes. I think he just had faith in God. But he says, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. And I can picture him closing his eyes and opening it and seeing all the Syrians. And right behind the Syrians were these angels and these chariots of fire. And they glowed. And they were massive. And the Syrians had no idea that they were surrounded. You know, I, I still have a child's imagination when it comes to the things of God. I just could 
said, there's just some things when I get to heaven, I'm like, Lord, just play that clip for me. I want to, I want to see that. I'm going to have all my favorites written down. And this, and Paul saw the third heaven, and da, 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 da. I'm just going to, here, Lord, please, I want to see it. So this is what's going on. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. And he sees. So the Syrian plot to stop Elisha. Elisha is about 12, 10 to 12 miles from the capital of Israel, Samaria to, to Dothan, is about that time. Um, there was a plot to kill Elisha, and maybe if it wasn't to kill him, to shut him up. You know, to threaten him. You better knock it off. You better stop telling our secrets. And you know, when you're truly serving the Lord, there will be, don't be surprised when those around you, maybe even those close to you, will try to get you to shut up. Shut you up, shut you down, shut you out of conversations. But you know what? The Lord will let us know what we need to know. And as we see often that in the Scripture that the Israeli army was weak because the Syrians, how many times were they able to just come across the border and raid? And if you go through the Scripture, especially in the first few books of Moses, we find repetitively that God said, if you're going to worship false gods and demons, I'm not going to protect you. So I'll make the case that the military was weak in Israel because they were weak spiritually. And God had taken his protective hand off of them. So you have this exchange between Elisha and his servant, and it's powerful because you see a great contrast. Elisha is, you could see him as calm, confident, soft-spoken. Just take it easy. And you can see the servant is fearful and fretting. And you know what? There's times that we fall into one or two of those camps, and it's just an awesome day when we're on fire for the Lord and we have that peace and we have that confidence and you just kind of even reflect on yourself and like, wow, this is so cool. I'm just really basking in the Lord's trust. Psalm 27.3 says this, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Imagine if more of God's people had this attitude. Right? The servant had to learn, even though he got to see sight, the Bible says to walk by faith and not by sight. In this instance, maybe for a second, maybe for five seconds, the servant saw sight because God met him where he was at. He was weak in his faith. And God brought him up to that place and said, now, now rest. Right? And we see these in, in the Scripture. And that's why I said when you came in here today, what are you going through? How was your week? How was your day? How, was, how has it been 2017 for you? For some, maybe not so good. But we need to walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 18, last few verses for this evening. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man you seek. But he led them to Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, which was heavily guarded by Israeli troops. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they, there they were inside Samaria, exclamation point, exclamatory. Imagine their to their chagrin when, they opened, when they, their eyes were now opened and they could see they're in, in the enemy camp and they're completely surrounded. 
Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, remember this is the enemy, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the band of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Wow. A lot of good stuff here. You know, what's amazing is the, the Syrians now relied on their armor, on their cleats, on their swords, on their horses, on their pikes, on their, board, uh, their, their, their uh, bows and arrows. And now they couldn't see. They couldn't take aim. They couldn't swing. They were completely helpless. And it's fascinating, that long trek to the capital they actually now had to walk by faith because they couldn't see. This will, I probably, you know what, now I'm thinking I should have changed the, the, the message. Walk by faith and not by sight because it's all about that. Duh. Well, maybe I'll change it later. But, so now they needed to have faith and they needed to trust that they weren't going to get slaughtered. They were at the complete mercy of the Israelites. So they were led into the royal court and... Again, they had no choice but to trust. And the king of Israel, and not knowing how long are we going to be blind, what's going to happen, what's going to be our fate. You know, if you ever talk to somebody who's been a POW, it's a horrifying, and they survive. The thoughts that go through their minds, right? So embellishing a little bit is pretty powerful. And uh, Elisha says, don't kill them. And the king honors his request. The men eventually, they get their sight back, they get their bellies filled, and they get sent home. And not one of them loses their life. And guess what? The Syrians don't come to raid anymore. Pretty neat. Now we're going to see years, we're going to see time pass in the next, uh, next portion of Scripture, and we're not going to get that to that tonight, but there's a difference between the Syrian raiders and the, another king, or I've I got to do my studies a little bit more, the king sending another army, to the capital and besieging it, surrounding it. So, you know, but according to this, that the, the raiders don't come over anymore. All right? And I'm not talking about the football team, okay? <laughs> so, so this is a principle in the Old and the New Testament, love your enemies. A few scriptures here. 1 Peter 4.8, Peter says, love covers a multitude of sin. That's pretty impressive. So yeah, the Syrians were coming to do harm. You know, did they burn any villages on the way to get to Elisha? Did they steal somebody's livestock to eat? I don't know. But we know that love covers a multitude of sin. Ecclesiastes 3, it does speak about a time for war, but it also speaks about a time for peace and a, a time to save life. Romans 12, 20 through 21, which is taken right from Proverbs 25, says this. It says, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. In doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Can I tell you something? When you're in the heat of ang being angry at somebody, and, and even where we are, honestly, we're, we're so sheltered in this country, but people get so mad at the stupidest things. 
You see somebody, they commit a crime or they, they hurt somebody and, and they get caught and they actually have time to think about it and they are truly remorseful and thinking, what the heck got into me? Why did, why did I do that? So the scripture is always right. A lot of the petty things that we get so enraged about in our culture, we become overcome with evil. But the Bible says to overcome evil with good. And I try to, I try to practice that. You know, every so often somebody I don't like crosses my path. And I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You know, share the gospel with him. Oh, my goodness. I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Just one, no, oh, man. And we pray, and the Lord tells us to overcome evil with good. And I got to tell you, that at the times that it happens, it's mind-blowing. And you just kind of shake your head and go, oh, that can only be God. You know, somebody that you were just, at, and, and, and it happens. And then there's a peace between you and that person. It's incredible to experience. But what does it mean to be like an Elisha? Does it mean to rise to the level of a celebrity? Mm, hardly. Yeah, in some ministries, everything is, is, is whooped up to, you know, celebrityism. And that's not the case here. Does it mean that being like an Elisha makes your life easy? No. Remember how Elisha started. He was a humble farmer. When Elijah called him into service and threw his mantle on him and says, come, let's go, let's do this. We find that Elisha has his highs and lows in ministry and life just as we do. You know, what did Elisha have to deal with? <laughs> a cast of characters, I'll tell you. The godless Syrians, this was his ministry field. Every so often he had to deal with the godless Syrians. He also sadly had to do with the faithless Israelites, his own people, the people of God that were just didn't believe. They, man, so many parallels. They just didn't think God could do much. They didn't pray. They didn't seek him. Very sad. Who also did Elisha have to deal with? Corrupt leaders, co corrupt kings and corrupt nobles. You know, again, we have this crazy idea that life must have been great for Elisha because he did miracles. Great but that he wasn't doing miracles every day. He had to live his life like we have to live our life. And this is what he had to deal with, three cast of characters. I just want to encourage anyone who came in here or is, as we're reading this, thinking you're just completely dissociating yourself from people in the Bible, real people who had real problems, right? I mean, do, you, do we remember Elisha in the beginning? He was uncomfortable. He was... Um, unsure of himself. What did he do in the beginning? He started doing things like Elijah did, and Elijah was already taken up to heaven. He started doing these things because this is what he remembers, but he didn't have that confidence. But you see him grow into his own skin in ministry over time. So I want to encourage you with that. If God is calling you to do something, right? If God is calling you to maybe talk to that one employee that nobody else talks to and maybe they make fun of, Maybe you're the person that God's calling to do it. I mean, you know, well, let me, let me get one of the celebrities. Let me call up one of these big TV ministries and say, they're not going to come out for your employee. God's calling you to do it. So I want to encourage you because this is what I'm supposed to do, where I am. And it's this discipleship. I'm discipling you through the pulpit, and then you go out and you do these things, and I, I may never hear about it. But what you're doing is you're being obedient to God's call. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation. 
from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.